you you think you have a stressful job. We're about to talk to someone whose job stress level is off the charts. And for the record, it's not a job that I'd ever want to do. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is the Chuck Williams Show. Welcome back to the Chuck Williams Show. It's kind of a weekly conversation that's becoming one of my favorite hours of the week. I get to learn something, and I get to bring y'all along for the journey. And today, we've got a really special guest. Uh, it's Nancy Bohr, and Nancy is the Director of Elections and Registrations for Muskogee County. And Nancy, nothing's going on in the election world right now, is it? Oh, no, Chuck. <laughs> nothing ever goes on in elections. <laughs> you are at you are in a job that is at the center of the political universe right now, but you're not in a political job. Uh, we're going to spend the first part of this talking about the new voter law that was passed by the General Assembly about three weeks ago and the impact it's going to have on people like you who run mm -hmm. elections across Georgia in the 159 counties. And, uh, you know, first I just want to welcome you here, but and, and thank you for coming to help talk a little bit about that. And once we talk about the laws, and then we're going to talk a little bit about you, you have an interesting okay. story. So uh, first of all, I mean, the law passed just as you've, come to understand this law how does it change what you do for a living and how long have you been doing it so i've been the director of elections for 25 years and the one constant in elections of course is change every legislative session we have change this one was a big legislative change in senate bill 202 and what s some of the voters will see is the reduction in uh, the ballot collection drop boxes from five to one of course, statewide, there will be counties that will have ballot collection drop boxes that didn't have them in 2020, as they are now mandated in every county. But here in Muskogee, we are going from five to one, which is a big change for us. And that's kind of how I want to do this. I'd like to go point by point mm -hmm. with some of the things that this law changes, and we'll get to the drop boxes mm -hmm. in just a second. But first, let's start with absentee voting. That seems to be something everybody wants to talk about. How does this change identification for those of us that might want to vote on an absentee ballot? So it change, changes what, what you are required to put on the application when you apply for that absentee ballot. Um, before we did the comparison of your signature, now you will be required to list an identification number, whether it's your driver's license identification number, your voter identification number, or a state ID along with your signature. If you don't have any of those, then you'll be required to put a copy of a different form of ID in with your application. Now that is just for the absentee ballot application. So if you have a passport, you need to make a copy of that passport and put it into your ap application for an absentee ballot. Once we receive your ballot, then too, you must put that identification number on the outside of the ballot along with your signature. And that identification number can be those approved forms of ID, and it's going to be sealed in a flap inside the uh, exterior of the absentee ballot envelope for you to then submit. Will you know how I voted? No, we never know how you vote. The only way we know is the party ballot that you pick in a primary. Of course, since all the candidates appear on the general election ballot, we never know how anyone votes. And we only know if you pick a Republican or a Democratic or nonpartisan ballot in a primary. So my ID will be on the envelope? envelope and not on the ballot itself. That's right. Uh, no identifier will be on the actual ballot. What does the law do to applicate? Well, we'll go back real quick before we get away from the ID part. Okay. This will allow y'all a little more checks and balances over just a signature, right? Right. It does away with a subjective evaluation of the signature and gives us a more objective way of looking at identifiers on a ballot. And that can be your driver's license number and your signature. So we have two forms of verification on that ballot. The time that I can request an absentee ballot has changed. In what way? So it's, it's been reduced from 180 days to 78 days before a primary or an election. Um, the thought process was that sometimes older voters and sometimes other voters get confused that they applied 180 days out for an election, and they forget and they apply again. So this will shorten 
the, the time period from 180 to 78. But the big kicker is 11 days before an election is the deadline for you to apply for an absentee ballot. And that's a big change for voters. What was it last election? It was the Friday before the election on Tuesday. So now we push it out a week and it's 11 days before the election on Tuesday. So that last week of early voting, there will be no mailing of absentee ballots. So that is a dramatic change. And this is kind of where the Democrats are screaming suppression and the Republicans are saying easier to vote, harder to cheat. I mean, this is where kind of their messages are, are, are meeting each other, right? So the, the justification in that was uh, to give us adequate time to process absentee ballot applications, to get them in the mail, for the voter to receive that absentee ballot, and then for them to have time to return that ballot by mail. So it, it's just trying to give more time for the process to come into play. Absentee ballots, the applications were mass mailed during the pandemic last year by Secretary of State Raffensperger's office. Uh, that will not be legal now, according to this law, right? That is correct. So the Secretary of State mailed applications to every registered voter, as did a number of organizations. So voters were receiving two, three, four, five applications in the mail and getting really irritated about the fact that they were receiving all of these applications. And often they were confused with an application and a ballot. So they would call our office with a complaint and say, I received three absentee ballots in the mail. We would look at it, and it was really three absentee ballot applications. So this is supposed to cut down on some of that confusion. Let's go back to the drop boxes. Yeah. You had five drop boxes scattered across the county for the general and the, and the Senate runoff, right? We did, yes. We were very proud of that. Those drop boxes were sitting in public places. Were they monitored at all? So every drop box um, had requirements. One of the requirements was that it be lockable. So you had to be able to lock the ballot box. It had to be monitored 24-7 by cameras with footage that was accessible by the elections board or the state elections board for a full 30 days after certification of the election. So all five of those ballot collection drop boxes were monitored by cameras 24-7. We were able to get the footage and we were able to lock those ballot collection drop boxes. What now happens, you can go, what happens now with those drop boxes? So we have put a work order in to remove those drop boxes. Uh, Muskogee County can only have one based on our number of registered voters. It's one for every 100,000 registered voters. There was no um, leeway for anything over 100,000. If we had 200,000, we could have two. We can have one ballot collection drop box, and it's supposed to be located inside where it can be surveilled at all times by um, an election official or, or a law enforcement person. Where were your five drop boxes? So I had um, one at the city services center at the entrance, one at the exit of the parking garage at the city services center, one at the trade center, one at um, Frank Chester Recreation Center that was also a drive up, and then one at the health department on Veterans Parkway. So pretty standard, pretty located, pretty widespread located. Mm -hmm. So those drop boxes are not cheap, right? Right. Are you going to sell the other four? Um, well, so obviously we're going to keep one of them. Um, we may sell the other four, but I think we're going to hold on to them in the hopes that um, maybe our legislators will see the benefit of the ballot collection drop box at some point in the future. So I want to get this clear. Muskogee County with 130,000 registered voters mm -hmm. will have the same number of drop boxes as Quitman County in Georgetown, Georgia, with what, 2,000 or 2,500 registered voters? And Chattahoochee County with 5,000, and Harris County with 25,000, yes. That's one of the things, and that drop box will not be accessible 24-7 like it was now. I've got mm -hmm. to come to the City Services Center. I've got to walk in, and i got to do it whenever the, the early voting polls are open, right? That is right. 
So the boxes are only open during the hours of early voting, and that's going to be a pretty big change, too, because early voting stops the Friday before the election, which means the ballot collection drop boxes are no longer available after early voting ends on Friday. That's a significant change. It's a significant change, but if you look at the the mailing deadline, which is now 11 days out, it should give the voters adequate opportunity to get their ballot and then to put it in the ballot collection drop box by that Friday. If I miss the drop box, what can I do with that ballot other than just stick it in the mail and take my chances that your office gets it? You can stick it in the mail or you can deliver it to our office that Monday or that Tuesday, but Tuesday it has has to be there before 7 p.m. So if I so I've got to come up to the second floor of the city services center and give you my ballot. Yes, you do. Interesting. And if you're going out of town the next week, it's going to be a problem. If you're going out of town, if you try to stick it in the mail, you just got to hope it gets there. Yeah, because the, the mail, you know, two three day delivery's mm-hmm. gone. I mean, you can't count mm-hmm. on that because it's going to make it, and then who knows where before it gets back here. Mm-hmm. Okay, early voting hours have not been changed much, have they? Um, Not in Muskogee County. In Muskogee County, we had maximized days and hours. So 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. every Saturday and Sunday during the advanced voting period, Monday through Friday during the advanced voting period. And the legislators in the final version allowed the counties the opportunity to decide when they wanted to have that early voting available to their voters. The mandatory days are that Monday through Friday and then the two Saturdays. What's unique about that is Harris County and Quitman that you just mentioned will now have to have two Saturdays of voting. Where they may not have done that in the past. That's right. So it's going to change. It's it's essentially treating voting the same in Fulton County as you do in Quitman County. Basically, yes, because you're now requiring two Saturdays of voting, regardless of the numbers of voters. And some of the discussion that was heard from the other elections officials were, you know, we can barely afford the one Saturday. It's going to be hard now to afford two Saturdays of early voting. One of the things when you look at this law, and I'm I'm just going to ask the question, can the General Assembly remove you from your job so i think part of the discussion in that in that section talks about replacing a non-performing superintendent after two general election cycles where it's been documented that this superintendent is non-performing are you a superintendent i am not a superintendent so who's the superintendent in muskogee county Superintendent Muskogee County is the five-member board of elections. And in most counties that have boards, it is the cumulative board that is the superintendent. In those counties that have probate judges that do the elections, it's the probate judge. Of course, here in Muskogee, as I said, it's the five-member board of elections. So for non-performance or based on the recommendation of, of a city council member or part of our legislative delegation, an investigation can be done and the superintendent can be replaced. And they are replaced by one person who is an appointee of the state elections board. There's been a lot of concern in circles, particularly Democratic circles, about this, that your name has never come up as an underperforming election official. I think... uh, the state guys have called you a rock star. <laughs> Governor Schwarzenegger in California has called you a rock star. So, I mean, but some of your colleagues have to be very nervous about this. Um, so in our discussions with each other, first I'll have to say I have a great team. I can't do anything without my team. But then secondly, um, we've had that discussion among us, and we realize that we have to be underperforming, non-performing, not doing well for two general election cycles. So for many of us, that would be 22 and 24, that we would have to be underperforming or non-performing to be replaced. Um, I figure, I think most of us figure this is an extreme uh, solution to problems. It's certainly not going to be a solution to problems that the legislature hoped to fix overnight. So if you look at this, they can't really come in and remove you in the middle of the 2022 gubernatorial election because that'll be the first cycle that y'all been in. So 
So this is a, this, when you start listening to that and hearing that, it's very different. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I don't know. I mean, I just, I mean, I don't know yeah. what to think about it because it sounds like to me, and this is probably where I inject a little bit from a standpoint, you're putting politics at play in something that probably shouldn't be political, deciding who's going to win elect, win or lose an election. Right. So I, I think the concern is the appointed person who, who comes in and assumes the duty of a multi-person superintendent. So you have one appointee who comes in and assumes the duties of the five-member board of elections. If you look at Muskogee County and the composition of the board, we have one Democratic representative, one Republican representative that are both appointed by council after nominations from each of the parties, and then three council appointments, and you're appointing it with one person. There's some concern there that, that all that concentration of power in that one person in the county becomes difficult because that one person then has the authority to recommend my termination, the termination of the people who work for me, poll workers and precinct managers. That's a lot of authority to put in one person. A political appointee? Uh, uh, an appointee. Correct. As the General Assembly was coming up with this law, did you talk to any of those guys and or those people, our, our representatives? We have, what, seven here? Um, so uh, Senator Robertson was on the Senate committee and um, Representative Smyrie was on the House committee. And I texted and sent emails to both of those numerous times. Um, thinking that perhaps the superintendent, they meant supervisor and all of those things. As elections officials, though, we weren't necessarily contacted about our input or our feedback on any of this legislation. That's an interesting position that the General Assembly took here. Yes. Um, and I can say that. <laughs> and we'll get to a couple more things. I mean, one of the things where you will see an impact is you got pretty good at attracting outside money to help pay for very expensive elections in a pandemic. Uh, you ended up getting money from the Zuckerberg Foundation, um, and then you got money from Schwarzenegger's Institute twice. I mean, almost $900,000 from those two entities. What was that money used for in Muskogee County? So in Muskogee County, we used it to open four additional early voting locations to give us five additional um, or five early voting locations that were open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday, as well as Saturday and Sunday during the advanced voting period. So from the time we opened until advanced voting was over, we had five locations open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. It was tremendous. I think you covered the first two days of early voting in October at the City Services Five Center. and a half hour wait. Right, when we had one location. After we brought those various sites online, we didn't have any lines at any of our locations for early voting. And the great part about it was we didn't say, Democrats, you vote here, Republicans, you vote here. We said, voters in Muskogee County, we want you to come to any one of these five locations that you feel comfortable coming to and voting according to your own voting plan. And that's what we intended to do with that money, and that's how we use that money to benefit all voters in Muskogee County. If you had more than a 10-minute wait to vote in Muskogee County for the general after the multiple locations or for the uh, Senate, January Senate runoff, you had a bad plan because there was it was fairly easy to vote in Muskogee County. It was, and you could go to a lo location where you could socially distance yourself. Where there, If you looked at the Trade Center, if you saw pictures of the Trade Center, you could see we had tons of space. We had tons of places for you to wait inside. At the City Services Center, you had to wait outside. But at the Trade Center and at the Civic Center, it was laid out so that as a voter, you could wait inside if that's where you chose to wait. They were easy for people who had disabilities or handicaps. So th that was one of the things I saw as a reporter. It was very easy at, at all of our locations that w we brought online later um, for voters to go. And, uh, and again, we, we said, vote according to your plan. If it's dropping your ballot in the ballot collection drop box at a drive-up, 
drop box or if it is voting at one of our early voting locations, that's what we want you to do. It wasn't geared towards any certain party or any certain candidate. You had had one advanced voting place before the November general election where you had large turnout Mm -hmm. and large turnout in the runoff. What's it going to cost you if voters have become used to five locations now? That certainly hasn't been in your budget in the past. What's that going to cost the taxpayers of Muskogee County for that convenience not to have those lines? So obviously in competing for scarce resources in government, I know that we will never be able to do five locations again without any outside grant funding. So in my FY22 budget request, I have asked for three, for funding for three early voting locations. We'll put one on the north, one in Midtown, and one on the south, knowing that we're not going to be able to do those five. Um, And that is about $150,000. And to be fair, the law states... 150,000. But to be fair, the law states that you can still go after that money, but it go and it could the the Schwarzenegger Institute can give that money to the state of Georgia and then they say, "Okay, w- they give you $200,000. We'll give 50,000 to Muskogee, 50 to Lowndes, 50 to Chatham and you know, 50 to somewhere up in the Whitfield County up in the mm-hmm. mountains." I mean, they can literally decide where it goes now and it's not it won't come to you if you're the one who's applied for the grant right that is true I mean it can be divided among the counties some kind of equitable distribution of the money don't know how what that equitable distribution is you know is it population is it number of registered voters is it number of precincts when we look at our number of precincts versus Augusta's number of precincts we have we have 25 Augusta has 54, but they, when we did the combination and made fewer precincts, Augusta didn't. And so you need to know how it's going to be allocated fairly. And that's not specified in the bill as I see it. It is not. Um, so now we'll get to the part that's probably been the most controversial piece of this. Uh, water. <laughs> um, <laughs> what else do you say? I mean, you know, were there laws on the book to prohibit people campaigning by using water or food? Absolutely. It's been on the books forever. No campaigning with a hun- within 150 feet of the outer wall of any place where voting is occurring within 25 feet of anyone standing in line. But what we saw in October, and I have pictures of it, what we saw in October at the City Services Center was a truck with a cooler with water for the people who were standing in that five-and-a-half-hour line. They weren't approaching the people in line. They didn't have anything on the water bottle. We went out there and looked. But if the voter walked up while they were standing in line, they just handed them a bottle of water, and they went back and got in line. Were we they saying it. vote? For any particular candidate. No, it was it was a truck with coolers in it. It was a church. It was um, a variety of people. There was a out men's there. club that was giving money out. There was a men's club. I mean, we, not money. Sorry, <laughs> let's rephrase that. Right. It was giving water. 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 There was a men's club. There was a men's club. There was a church. Country's barbecue set up their their silver tea. Airstream. Right. Airstream. Their airstream to give just tea to voters with no political message whatsoever. We had what was called share a chair. And that's where in the bike rack, people put chairs, the little foldable chairs. And if somebody saw somebody having a problem uh, standing while they were waiting in line, they went and got the chair and they took it to the voter and then they replaced it as they entered the door to to the voting location. It was an amazing sense of community that I felt that I think the voters felt and that we witnessed, I think, over the state of Georgia. I know those chairs you talk about. I was stunned when I came to your office just before early voting started in December for the primary, for the runoff, for the runoff from the Senate races. And the chairs were still in the rack from the November election. Mm -hmm. And they were used again during the runoff. 
They share a chair. Nobody walked away with them. They just stayed there. Are they still there now or have they been picked up? They've been picked up. Okay. That's, um, so the water, why do you think the water issue has become this hot button issue on both sides? And I mean, I've heard people say, well, you can just bring your own water to the poles. But sometimes you may be thinking you're going for a 30 minute wait and all of a sudden you're in a two or three hour line. I think there's this discussion about line warming and that it's line warming if you give water, if you attach a message to the water bottle that says vote for candidate A. Obviously, we didn't see any of that happening. Obviously, we saw just that whole sense of community. And again, um, most of the places that gave out food or water parked in the parking lot of the library which is more than 150 feet from the outer wall of the city services center. Will they be allowed to do it again? Yes, because but, we have no control over what happens in the library parking lot. But if I'm Jim Morpeth and I'm giving away my country sweet tea uh, to uh, a little old lady who's standing in the line, and I walk over there and hand her that tea, at that point I've broken the law, right? If you walk into the line... To hand out the tea, yes. And but but if that voter's walking out of the early voting or they are standing in line and they walk over to where the tea is being being given away, then they have not broken the the law. But what if they go over and get it and then all of a sudden somebody says, You left the line, go back to the back. I mean you could see I mean there there are all sorts of of human indecencies in this politically charged environment that you could see come out in this, right? You can see that, but I saw so much human decency in 2020 that I don't know that that would be something that you would see in Muskogee County. Uh, I, you know, perhaps it would happen elsewhere, but we saw so many uh, situations of people helping other people that I don't know that that's something we would see here. You had to do the mandatory audit. I guess the first recount was an audit, not a recount, of the November general election. You did something no other election director in the state did. You brought in these ugly green and (laughs) and yellow bins, and you had teams of two working through every ballot. You had a Republican and a Democrat. I mean, what made you think I mean, th- this was a point they were ready. They were at each other's throats in huge ways because elections being stolen, all of everything that's out there, that all the stuff on, from the Republican side that they didn't trust the system. What made you put those people side by side, knee to knee? So you talk about the ugly green and yellow, but I couldn't have blue or red. So <laughs> I had to have a neutral color scheme that, that would work. Uh, that it looked we, like waste management. It me. did, but it was yellow and green, and that was perfect. We had two days to plan for that audit, that manual audit, getting people on payroll, getting people to pass a drug test. All of those things that we have to do for an employee is a lot, is difficult and would have taken way more than two days. Um, So I started putting my volunteer hat on, and I thought, you know what? If I can get the Republican and the Democratic Party to buy into doing this together, then we have buy-in from both parties, the Democrat and the Republican. We make them work as a team, and both of them, I had hoped to build trust and understanding of the process, and I, I hoped that it worked. Do you think it did? I do. For the people who were involved in it, the people who were involved in the process, they worked side by side. These were party loyalists, too. Yes, they were. They were people who volunteered their time eight hours a day for four or five days, voluntarily came and were excited and cheered each other on when they completed bins or when they completed batches. Um, It it was an amazing experience. Um. Last kind of piece I'm going to ask uh, on the election stuff, and then we'll move into a little bit about you, okay. um, a little bit about you personally. And you're, you've got a pretty interesting life, or have led a pretty interesting life. But last question, was there any voter fraud or any election cheating in Muskogee County 
during the November general election or during the January Senate and Public Service Commission runoffs? I would say that there was no fraud. There were people who forgot that they had mailed in their ballot and they went to vote early, but we were able to say, look, we issued you a ballot, or they received applications, numerous applications, and they forgot that they had already completed an application in April to receive a ballot for every election. So I don't think there was purposeful fraud. I think that people forgot the process. They had a lot of things on their minds. And no, there was not systemic fraud. There was not equipment fraud. The machines didn't add anything, add votes. That was validated. You used the Dominion's machines. We did. And did the Dominion machines as accused by the president of the United States, did they switch ballots? So I've been around the block a long time when it comes to elections. The first election system that I implemented was the optical scan. And that's where you darkened in the arrow and you scanned it into the machine. Debold. Terrible. You know, no, we can't use that anymore. So now we've got to go from optical scan and paper-based elections because paper-based elections are problems to electronic voting. That's when we went to the DREs. Electronic voting, voters loved it. Elections officials, eh, so-so, because we had to have a, a DRE for every, you know, 20 for every precinct. But we went to electronic voting. Then the discussion came around and said, no, we don't want electronic anymore. We want to go back to paper. So I feel like I've come full circle when it comes to optical scan and paper and electronic and now back to paper. You have the paper backup. Um, when That's what we were able to audit. That's what we were able to look at. And when your audit comes out similar to your election day counts, you've got to think that there's no problem with software. And, and the big thing is the software is never connected to the Internet. Our equipment is never connected to the Internet. Our tabulating computer is never connected to the Internet. What did you think when Gabe Sterling, who you know well, and Raffensperger, you know, everybody in this game you know. I mean, you worked with Governor Kent when he was Secretary of State closely. Uh, you, have been, you have been working with Stacey Abrams in Fair Fight for the last eight or nine years as they've ramped up voter registration. You know, you know all the players in this game. What did you think when Gabe Sterling stood up and became very emotional and said it has to stop, you're going to get one of these election workers killed? I think we were very proud that someone finally stood up for us as elections officials. Um, We had worked through a pandemic. We had worked through all of those issues where um, we had worked through protests, and and we were glad that someone finally stood up for us and said, you know, look, these elections officials are doing their jobs, and we were happy for that. Um, Secretary of State, no one has ever done an election in a pandemic. We were all just kind of flying by the seat of our pants, and we felt like we killed it in 2020. We had record turnout. We had record absentee by mail, and we really thought we implemented new equipment. And as elections officials, we thought we had killed it. And then, um, you know, this year's brought quite a bit. General Assembly didn't think you killed it. No, they didn't. They didn't, unfortunately. And so we went from riding high to where we thought we had done really great to, gosh, what did we do right? The Republicans and Democrats who didn't agree on much, uh, Laura Walker, Alton Russell, they agreed that you ran a good election down here. So you know, last question, and I'll get to the other piece of this. But you know Brad Rathsberger. You've worked with him now for a couple of years. They have stri- This bill strips him of his seat on the election board and of a lot of his power. I'm not going to ask you to politically say anything, but I'm going to ask you, did Brad Rathisberger do a good job in running elections in a pandemic and into the runoff this year? Yes, I think he did. I think that had he not mailed applications to every voter, had he not come up with some type of solution to help voters in a presidential election cycle 
there would have been criticism. And I think he used his engineering background. I think he used all of those things that he knew to enable us to allow us to let the voters vote. The General Assembly clearly judged Secretary Raffensperger. This may not be a fair question, but I'm going to ask you, how do you think history is going to judge Brad Raffensperger? I think history is going to be critical of what he did in 2020, and I think as elections officials, it will be critical of what we did in 2020. But I think that what we have to do is say, you know, we did a good job. We did record turnout. We did record absentee by mail, and you can't take that away from us regardless of what you want to do. Like I said, the lady has a tough job, <laughs> and there aren't many people that would line up to do your job. Um, let's switch gears now. Um, okay. Uh, okay, you've had a tough job as election official. You're, uh, um, let, me, let, let me rephrase. I'm going to get back to another tough job that Nancy had. Uh, you're married to Ricky Boren. Ricky spent 49 years on the Columbus Police Department. You and Ricky have three children, and he retired in the middle of your election cycle yes. uh, after after being the longest serving police chief in the history of Columbus. First, how's Ricky doing? And you know, y'all's world has obviously changed in the last five or six months. He's doing great. He's adjusting to retirement. October thirty first was his last day, and it's been a huge change for him. But um, he's adjusting. He's doing well. That's good to hear. I know I know he doesn't get bothered by people like me near as much as he used to, so that's probably got to be good for y'all. Um, you, before you were elections official, you worked for this, for, you also worked for the city county. Um, I know what you did, but tell everybody what your job was. So I was deputy coroner for nine years. I worked with Don Kilgore, uh, who was the coroner at the time, and did that for nine years. I tell people all the time, though, that that did not qualify me for my elections job, that just because I worked with dead people in the coroner's office, <laughs> it didn't qual qualify me for elections. And then after uh, elections, I was the affirmative action officer for the city under Frank Martin for two years and then became elections director in 1995. Uh, that, that's the name out of that past. Bush Martin was, mm -hmm. was a very transformative mayor for the city very much so um so how do you end up how does somebody even apply to be a deputy coroner so it's really funny i was selling real estate at the time for kelsey kennan and <laughs> i had a pager and i was not making money as a, a real estate agent i was too young went to turn in my pager because i couldn't afford it anymore and the girl handling it was on the phone nonstop. Wouldn't get off the phone. Fifteen minutes later, her boss comes out and says, you know you have a customer. She hangs up the phone and she said, you wouldn't happen to be looking for a job, would you? And I said, no, but go ahead and tell me about it. It was the deputy coroner job. She was talking to Don Kilgore on the phone. He was trying to negotiate a better price for his pagers. And she told me about the job. I left, went back to my office at the real estate company, picked up the phone and called him. Called him that afternoon. Do you know who you were? You were Nancy Pitts, right? Uh, yes, I was. I was Nancy Pitts. He did not know me. I was, I'm a Harris County girl. I was born and raised in Harris County. My parents are still there. I asked him, told him I was interested in the job. He said, come down tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Went to the coroner's office at 9 o'clock, and he was not there. <laughs> so I waited about 15 minutes. He got there, and I said, I'm Nancy. He said, come on in. He said, you know how to do a letter? I said, of course I do. So he said, do me a letter for this. So I sat down, and I did him a letter and handed it to him. He said, okay, can you put it in an envelope? I said, sure. I said, but I'm here for the deputy coroner job. And he said, you got it. I said, oh, when do I start to work? He said, it's tomorrow soon enough. So that's the beginning of history in 1986. Don Kilgore was, simply put, one of the most colorful characters who ever lived in Columbus, Georgia. Is yes. that an overstatement? That is not an overstatement, and I am so happy that Don was my f first supervisor in city government. He taught me so many things. He called the tower at the government center, you know, the, the, the white tower, the, you know, the... Um, the really ugly building. Yes, the really, yes. He said, you don't ever go over there. 
<clears throat> when you do go over there, you don't ever talk to anyone because everyone's related, and you don't know who you're talking to. <laughs> and, I, you know, so many things that Don taught me that I'm just so thankful for. I'm still very close friends with his children, his grandchildren. Um, it was an amazing Time. Everybody who ever dealt with Don Kilgore has a Kilgore story. I've got one. I was the city editor at the Ledger Inquirer, and they had uh, they had somebody that was in the coroner's office's custody. So obviously they were dead. Uh, <laughs> they uh, they couldn't identify the body. So Kilgore comes in and asks us to run this autopsy mugshot of the guy. And I'm like, Don, I'm not doing that. I mean, eyes mm -hmm. were closed, the whole thing. He walks out, comes back two hours later, and had opened the eyes on the thing and taken another picture and asked us to run it. And I, I looked at my boss, and I said, I'm not running it. And we didn't, and Don got in a huff and walked out of the office and said he'd never talked to Ledger Choir again. He may probably have. I don't know. But, you know, it, it was he – he looked at the world in a very different way than most of us did. He did, and I think part of that is being in the funeral business and then in the corner business, me being in it for nine years, you have to look at life in a different way. You have to think about things that are, are funny or a way to put humor into your life, a way to uh, appreciate family and children and, and those that are close to you because in the cor corner's office we saw that it wasn't guaranteed the next day wasn't guaranteed, and so I, I think he learned that early on, and that's how he was able to, to stay in the coroner's office for so many years. Is the legend true that John, Don actually did the autopsy on his brother after he was killed? He actually owned the funeral home, and um, the, the funeral home where his brother was prepared, he actually did the preparation of his brother's body for viewing. His brother was the pilot of the plane that J.R. Allen was killed on on the way to a speech in Rome, Georgia. I guess That's that right. was 72? Yes. 72. So, I mean, a lot of incredible history revolves around the Kilgore family. It was incredible history, and I'm so glad to have been a part of it. I was able to keep one of the things that he had behind his desk at the county morgue. He always had a, 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 a poster, and it said, Think. Think. He said, I want you to do that That before you go to every crime scene, before you walk on to any place where you're doing an investigation, just think. And so the first thing you saw when you walked into the county morgue was think. And I still have that sitting on my desk, and I try to I actually try to do that. What's the difference in being a coroner mm -hmm. and an elections official? <laughs> no, that's not a fair yeah. question. Well, so coroner and medical examiner is what I thought you were going to ask yeah. me. So coroner is more the investigative end. Of course, m medical examiner is the medical end. Um, I mean, really, you just have to think fast on your feet, and you have to be able to deal with people, um, dealing with people that in an emotional time, obviously. Because yeah, you're dealing with families at the worst possible time of their That's life. That's right, and you're dealing with elections that have a lot of of history and a, a special attachment for many people. Um, how do you keep your sanity? I mean, what do you do? I know, I know y'all have a very close family and y'all, and we'll get into a little bit of that in a minute, but how do you keep your sanity? So I have three amazing children and I've you been, do. I've been lucky that I have two wonderful parents who have kept my children while I've been able to work. Um, I never had to pay for a daycare. I never had to take them anywhere except to my parents' house. And my parents are 84 and 92 right now, and they are amazing blessings to me. Um, for the past year, I've carried them their groceries and their everything they needed so they didn't have to get out during the pandemic. And um, then my three children obviously have gotten me involved in all kinds of activities that had I not had those children, I don't know what I would have done. But those are my stress relievers. Ten Tennis, you know, it's interesting, and in just in some of our conversations, you have built special bonds with all three of your children in different, over things that are not over outside fun things, fun mm -hmm. things to do. What would you do with your daughters? And if you could talk a little bit about those trips and kind of what you did as they were growing up. 
some of the daughters were really involved in tennis. Um, they were state championship state champions in tennis um, for high school, and they played numerous tournaments. So tennis has been a big part of our life. It kind of kept them busy from the time they were five and six years old. Um, we've been to Indian Wells Tennis Tournament, uh, Miami Open, the New York Tennis Tournaments. The U.S. Open. U.S. Open, yes. Yeah. Couldn't think of it. Um, so it's been a big part of our life. We kind of enjoy it now more on a social aspect. Um, and my son. Who's loves younger than the kid, the girls, right? He is younger. He's 18. He loves NASCAR. So we've been going to NASCAR races since he was 12. Where do you go? Been to uh, Talladega. We've been to the Atlanta Motor Speedway and we've been to Daytona twice. So. Who's your favorite tennis player and who's your favorite NASCAR driver? Oh, so definitely Roger Federer. There's no even discussion for that. He's the GOAT, greatest of all time, for sure. You got sure. to see him play a lot, too, We right? saw him play a lot. We actually, um, yes. So we would have to sit in the stadium. My oldest would figure out his schedule, when he was going to play or when he was going to practice. And three or four hours before his scheduled match or playtime, we would have to go to the stadium where he was going to practice or play and sit in the front row for hours in 90-degree temperature waiting for him to come out onto the court. So we got really close-up shots of him practicing and playing because of her diligence. <laughs> no other reason. Um, and, you know, my favorite NASCAR driver, I guess, uh, I love Jeff Gordon kind of now. Um, of course, m with my son, we went through Jeff Gordon, then Danica Patrick, and now he's kind of going back and forth between – several of the drivers um he hasn't really picked you, you had that relationship with your dad and it was cycling that i mean so was that the blue what you and your dad did on bicycles doing bike ride across georgia and stuff mm -hmm. was that the blueprint for what you were doing with your children it was absolutely the blueprint my dad said you've got to find something that will take you through their teenage years take you through their adult years where you can just spend time with your children and so that's what I did. I identified those things, and for my girls, it was tennis. For my son, it was NASCAR that would take us through those troubling teenage years onto the adult life and give us something in common that we could talk about and that we could do together. And, you know, parenting's not easy. I mean, it's not, I mean, but, I mean, you've got right now, You all three of yours are still in school because you got Columbus High and then, your oldest is in law school? She is. She's in law school at the University of Georgia. She's in her first year. She'll be clerking for Judge Howells this summer in federal court, magistrate court. She's super excited about that. And then uh, my middle daughter is in her third year, also at Georgia. And, of course, my son is a senior at Columbus High School. So wh what led your oldest to look at law? I mean, both of y'all, you and Ricky both have pseudo-law jobs, I mean, where you deal with the law a lot. I mean, what led her into that career path? So she had to write a letter saying why she wanted to go to law school. And even though I couldn't read it, she did state that it was her parents' community service that led her to um, looking at law school and looking at, um, at Georgia. Um, so I have to assume that we had a little bit to do with with her career path. She doesn't want to do big law. She doesn't want to do corporate law. She wants to do public service law. That's, that's noble. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of lawyers in, around. I think, she, you know, knowing Judge Hiles a little bit, that would be an interesting place to do a, to do a clerkship. I think that's a interesting place to sort of see what the world looks like. So I agree. Um, talk a little bit. This will kind of be elections last election stuff but in your performance of your duty you were named a superhero of democracy or whatever the terminology is by arnold schwarzenegger and it's kind of weird because if you had chuck and nancy will get to interview and talk to arnold schwarzenegger on your 2020 <laughs> pandemic bingo card i mean it, it he really took an interest in what was happening here didn't he he did and 
I, I can't take the credit for that. I, I, I told him and I told the University of Southern California, it was the money, of course, but it was the marketing. And it was the marketing uh, by Haley at the Trade Center, but then last and certainly not least. Haley Tillery. Mm-hmm, Haley at the Trade Center. And last and certainly not least is the media. You were my best um, pr- proponent during that time period. You let people know uh, when we were going to open new places. And so without those three M's, the money, the marketing, and the media, it would not have made such an impact in Muskogee County as it did. And that money made a huge impact. But you you had some conversation. I mean, how was it to sit there and talk to somebody that literally is this? I mean, Dylan sitting here. How would you describe Arnold Schwarzenegger, Dylan? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. Just like Hollywood star, not even Hollywood star. I don't know. He, I think because he was governor of California for a while, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, so you had to have these conversations with him. What was that kind of like for somebody born and raised in Harris County? So obviously I was starstruck the first time. The first time I spoke with him, I was really starstruck. I thought, man, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, this is the Terminator. This is him. This is really him. But he was such an amazing person to talk to. And then the people that he ha- had around him, Daniel and, and Christian, they were amazing. And so they made the process uh, important, made, made us feel important, and made Muskogee County. He talked to the poll workers. He ta- we, we were doing poll worker training, and he zoomed in to the poll workers and addressed poll workers in our poll worker training. That made such an impact. At the Trade Center, when we had the food service people there who were employed by, by that money, they all did a video and said, thank you, Arnold. And so it, it was a tremendous impact for our community and for our county that we were able to do what we were able to do with that money, and he made it possible. And, and he even talked about the success story that was Muskogee County on CNN and other interviews I heard him do. He did, and uh, we did a, a, a Zoom for the University of Southern California students in policy management. It was a great opportunity for our county to get known on the, uh, you know, on the map, Muskogee County, not Columbus, Ohio, but Columbus, Georgia. <laughs> or, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just when you start thinking back about how that all happened, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Well, we're getting near the end of this and one thing I want to ask is there anything that I haven't talked about that you want to talk about is there anything that's like hey you know I wish you had asked about this or something I know um Um, I mean I just think for voters they need to know and again make a plan for voting whether it's in 2021 whether it's in 2022 know how the new laws affect you know how you as a voter want to cast your ballot, whether it's in person, whether it is by mail, or whether it's during early voting. Know all of those things. It's going to be different. Uh, The time periods are going to be different. And you're about to have one of the very first elections. You've got a special election to fill uh, the school board seat vacated when Mike Edmondson, somebody both of us knew well, uh, when Mike passed away. That seat, you've got two people running for that seat uh, now, and that election's coming up when, June? It'll be June the 15th. We'll have early voting that starts May the 24th. Again, that will be at the City Services Center. Um, you can request your absentee ballot, but know those deadlines. Know when you have to request that absentee ballot by mail if you are a voter in that district. Know when early voting begins. We're just stay informed. So you won't have a drop box up in the second district, which is the Green Island, Brookstone area, where you could normally put a drop box up there. You won't have a drop box up there for people to put absentee. They'll have to come down to Midtown and put the – drop box while early voting put the ballot in the drop box at the city services center that's right the the ballot collection drop box will be at the city services center on macon road and for all of those voters in school board district two they'll have to bring that ballot to the uh, city services center between 8 30 and 4 30 
big um, change. <laughs> wow. It's, well, I really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. And we'll do something now. I've been doing this on all these podcasts, and it's been interesting. It's, I call it Turn the Tables. Um, uh, and you, you get to ask me a question. It's like I've been asking you questions for 20 years now. <laughs> and I don't know if I want to do this or not. Uh, uh, but if you've got anything you want to ask me, it, that kind of turned the tables. And I don't I, I forgot to prepare you for this, so That's this will okay. be cold. So it will be cold. Yeah, it'll be fine. How did you learn to present yourself on the camera the way you did, say, for Dr. Edmondson or in, in later interviews? I know in the beginning it was a little rough. It is for me, too. And so um, I need that feedback. I need to know how you did it. A little rough in the beginning is a very mild <laughs> understatement. I don't know why... Gene Kirkconnell, our news director, and Connor Hackling, our assistant news director, and David Hart, our general manager, didn't take me out there. I was terrible um, the first five or six months. It, you know, first of all, I have a voice that is unique to to this market. Nobody else has my voice, and there's probably a reason for that. But I've gotten more comfortable, and it, it was interesting today. Dylan, Dylan was kind of watching. We came in from a court hearing. We wrote a story. Incredible team effort revolving around everybody in the station. But when I walked in there to get ready to talk about this, this two people had served 12 years in prison for conviction, murdering their child, and the Supreme Court overthrew it. They're not going to retry it, and they walked out. And it was just, and we interviewed them. It was incredibly emotional interviews with the devil bot double bots uh, before I came in here. But I, all that happened within 20, 30 minutes of walking on that set. I rewrote a story, and I walked in there, and I was comfortable. It, but, you know, you got Phil and Teresa. You got Jezwal. You got Cody was in there tonight. You had all these people, Blake in the morning, Nicole at noon. They make you comfortable, and I've watched professionals. I've watched the professionals that are Teresa Whitaker and Phil Scoggins, people that know how to do it, and they took an interest in me because I guess they figured that the, the station had gambled to bring a newspaper guy over here, and they took an interest in getting me better. Teresa had input. Phil had input. A lot of people had it. Even people, my wife Kathy had a lot of input, like, you know, she about sort of what she saw just as a viewer when I would come home when I come home. So I've gotten comfortable because reps make you comfortable. The more you do something, the more okay. comfortable you get. And, you know, I know you're very nervous when we put a camera in front of you. And, you know, I'm different from probably any other reporter because I don't put a camera. I put a cell phone in. I put this in front of you. And that's a very different way to do it for you. So I think that's taken a little bit of you don't have that big, chunky camera you just got you know chuck in a cell phone so which can do a lot of damage we're learning um so i hope that i hope that answers hope that answers the question um okay i gotta get my my okay we're getting towards the end first of all i want to thank you nancy i think this has been a good hour i, I really appreciate going point by point on the law and kind of demystifying some of it and I think I learned some stuff I've, I've had these conversations over the last probably two months with you as this law was taking shape so this has been helpful and I hope that the people who listen to this will will take will take something out of it you know from the you know it's a deeply partisan issue and you're in a deeply partisan fight we're all in a deeply partisan world right now and i think just coming in and talking about it helps okay i want to thank my buddy here dylan hansen is our director he has been doing this now for eight shows and he keeps coming back <laughs> i think dylan likes me and i know i like dylan man of course he, it's so much fun he, you know it's you know dylan is a student at csu and I can look over and tell if I'm doing something right, if Dylan's really paying attention. Sometimes he'll zone out, but he, he pays attention to this. I mean, even with a mask, I can tell when Dylan's going to the Dylan place. But. I'm being called out now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're really not. Th thank you for your, for, no, for, your, for your work here. You do a great job, and you have been very, very helpful to me as I learned this process. And this is essentially radio. 
in a lot of ways. Okay, first of all, you can subscribe to the Chuck Williams Show, streaming live on WRBL.com every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. Watch the replay on our website the next day, and we'll push it out on the WRBL Facebook page, the link to it. So you'll be able to watch that if you want to. And coming soon, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Audible. You can listen to the show on the go, and I've been told that that's really coming in the next couple of weeks so i'll be glad one day to say hey go get it on audible or spotify we're getting really close to that you also can watch the hold on what am i doing okay oh now let's go to social media my favorite part of social media animal that i am uh you can catch it on twitter at chuck williams you can get me on facebook at chuck williams wrbl and you can get it on instagram at chuck williams 0999 on my instagram dylan I mainly post flower pictures. That's my flower picture spot. Again, we want to thank Nancy for joining us. Uh, Nancy Boren, Director of Elections and Registrations here in Muskogee County. Uh, Appreciate you spending an hour with us. And come back next week, next Tuesday, we'll have somebody else to talk about something else. You've been listening to The Chuck Williams Show.